it's really whatever the PC needs at that point, right? If uh, if the ship isn't right, I try not to set sail. So I spend a lot of time operationally digging in when I'm first getting to a PC and kind of figuring out how that particular mousetrap works. Welcome to the Get Wired Podcast, presented by CED Vero Beach. Join us as we make new connections, share our outlooks on business as well as life, and provide a new look at the wholesale electrical supply industry from the inside out. This is the Get Wired Podcast. Here's your host, Mike Burkhart. All right, welcome to the program. This is Mike Burkhart, the host of the Get Wired Podcast. I've got a special friend of mine today, Josh Rogers, all the way from California. We've been friends since... Uh, pretty much my first training ever with CED. So we've managed to stay in touch in a, kind of an unusual way, which we'll get into in the program. But let's go ahead and bring him on. Welcome to the program, Josh. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's been a, it's been a long time since we were in the training program. I started in 2010 and finished in 2012. And so we must have met somewhere in between there. Um, yeah, I think it was, uh, it may have even been our first trip to Westlake when we were still out there, because I started just at the tail end of 2009. And I completed in 2012 as well. Um, oh, so we were on the exact so. same track. Yeah, that's cool. And one of the things I always Just tell about three years. I always tell trainees is you never know where, where these guys are going to end up. You never know if they're going to make it through the training or ten years from now where yep. you're going to be with them. And you and I have stayed together in, in touch by using probably the most bizarre system of, of communication. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we started a game of Absolutely. word feud. Which is very, if you're not familiar with Word Feud, it's basically like Words with Friends, but for the Android app um, yep. uh, operating system. And we started that on a bus trip somewhere. I don't remember where we were going or what we were doing. Um, mm -hmm. And eight and it a was half. Back when that kind of stuff was super popular, though, like everyone was playing Words with Friends. You right. Know, and uh, we were always looking for people to play with. It was good. And I don't think that Words with Friends was available on Android at the time. Otherwise, we probably would have just done that. So, um, totally. We did Word Feud, and we've been playing it for, geez, eight and a half years, nine years almost maybe? Who knows? Um, yeah, and, you know, I think it only took me a solid five or six years of doing that with you before I sprung for the five bucks and bought the app. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what they're charging for. Yeah. You know, well we, worth it. We well worth it. saved hours of our life on not listening to ads or watching ads. Um, mm -hmm, but I mean, sure. I think the bottom line there is just for the people that are in the training program listening to this, or even if you're not, and you've been doing this for a long time, you never know where people are going to end up. And it's important to stay in touch with them, regardless of the means that you, it, it takes to go and, and keep that connection alive. But just, you know, reach out to people every once in a while and follow up with them and just say, Hey, how are things going? What do you think about this? If, if you're not in the same division and you never see their P and L's or, or trade information about like situations you're having in your profit center that's what they're there for. Like reach out to them and say, Hey, I'm dealing with this. What would you do about it? Totally. And, uh, to give you credit for that as well. I mean, one of the things that I value most about that over the course of the last almost decade is, uh, the soundboarding opportunity from an objective source. You know, you're, you're far enough away from where I am and completely different region, DM, all that, that you can give me some perspective that I might not otherwise think about. And it's been really great, especially because, you know, a lot of times, um, at least for the first number of years. And even now, I'd say our PCs are still similarly sized. Um, Ooh, it's I, just great to get somebody else's opinion. I think you've kind of, since you're, we'll talk about how many PCs you've been to and, and gone through, but I think your last sure. one is, is, is miles ahead of where we're at in terms of numbers and employees. But, um, you know, it's, it's still, the, the metrics still apply if, as long as you look at the ratio. It all scales. Yeah, it all scales. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but one of the things that you and I have always talked about is like uh, service level and inventory and kind of like 
like, I don't know, would you say you're more on the operations side of things or on the sales side of things? Oh, that pendulum kind of swings back and forth. I'd say my comfort zone is probably more operational uh, than sales, though I still dig the sales portion of it. Um, but I just completely nerd out on, on the operation stuff and the numbers side of it. But it's really whatever the PC needs at that point, right? If uh, if the ship isn't right, I try not to set sail. So I spend a lot of time operationally digging in when I'm first getting to a PC and kind of figuring out how that particular mousetrap works and give it a, I don't know, whatever you're comfortable with, six, nine months before you really start affecting change so you don't add too much disruption that is unpleasant for the team. Um, but get my kind of spin on it in there, make sure we're sound, and then hopefully at that point put your, uh, you know, sales hat on and go drive some business. I like it. I think that's really smart because a lot of times people get so excited out the gate that they just, you know, or they're, they're under so much pressure to generate sales that they go out. And I remember a manager in my division told me, like, you know, you really need to, like you said, you need to get the ship right before you set sail because, and I really like that expression, because you can go out and make be the best salesperson ever, but if you're selling a bad product, which is a PC that's not operationally sound or ready for that kind of business, you might only get one shot yep. with that customer, and you just you sold them on the idea, you got them to buy into it, and then you couldn't deliver, and that's that's actually way worse. Yeah, and I would say that I'm sure you've experienced this as well. That uh, it's amazing how many customers out there still hold a grudge from you know years and regimes before you and I each took the helm as PC manager uh, these respective PCs. And it's funny the stories you hear; they go back sometimes decades. Uh, for a grudge that's being held for something went wrong. So I, I absolutely agree. And one of the things I found myself trying to convey over the years too is if you're struggling at whatever, you know, half a million, $3 million uh, in sales and the operations aren't working, increasing that by twofold is not going to help. You're still going to be struggling. You just lose more money probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the odds are you're going you're gonna to be making bigger mistakes because it's bigger dollars and more pressure. And, you know, if the, if the machine isn't working, you got to get that fixed. So, yeah, absolutely. I spend a lot of time operationally trying to get things sorted out, and then sales cures all ails, as they say. But yeah, you, them anyway. you made a good point about uh, the grudges people hold, and um, it's also it, it's two sides of that coin. Like it's it's habits, right? So you get people in the habit of something, and they do it over and over again. They come to your PC every single day. Oh, yeah. But if you mess that up, if you get them in the habit of not coming to see you for for one reason, like the the story I always tell my trainees and and people here is like when I took over Vero. There was a customer that got into a big pissing match with the manager at the time. It was two managers before me, um, just to give you some some spacing in the dating and how long this grudge was boiling over. It was over a two hundred dollar mm-hmm. breaker. The guy said he ordered it, you know, sing, you know, bolt on. He said no, it was plug in, and you know they kept going back and forth about this. Never ordered the new one. The guy got so upset he he said don't even worry about it and moved his SPA, his squirty SPA, and now. <laughs> I come in and I'm like, hey, you guys are a big account. You do a lot of Square D. Like, why, why do you, when we have your SPA? And he told me the story, and I was like, oh my goodness. So I wrote him the credit. It's two, amazing, right? Two years later for the for the breaker, I was like, I think it's like a $250 breaker. You know, here you go. Um, I know yep. you have an SPA. If, if you're ever not happy with them, please give us another ch- opportunity. I'm sorry we messed that up. And um, you know, six months later, we got their SPA through showing we could do everything else right. And then now they're one of our biggest accounts. Love it. Love those wins. You know, it's funny, and I'll share a story where I kind of bumbled as a new PC manager, and it wound up being okay about a year later, but I had a kind of similar situation where a customer came in, he was a good-sized account, and I was a new manager at the PC when I was up in Grass Valley, and um, he brought in this fixture that he's been sitting on a shelf for like 
years. He bought it from us before I got there, and it wasn't working. And can I get it replaced for him? And it's like a hundred bucks. And you know, I, I went down that path and dug in. I'm looking for the PO. I can't find it. I reached out to the manufacturer. And I told the guy, "Look, man, you're SOL. I, I I can't even figure out where you bought it from me, let alone you know warranty the thing." And uh, in hindsight, I really wish I had just taken care of it, right? <laughs> um, and there's there's a context to everything, but I, I couldn't get any business out of this guy. And he was a big account in town, and I don't know, it might have been maybe 12 months later, um, one of my other employees kind of called him out. I was like, hey, how come you're not giving Josh a shot? You're not giving us any business over here when you know we can do it for you. And he said, well, he doesn't have the heart it takes, right? Uh, and he, he quoted this uh, instance where he brought me this fixture. And I, it meant nothing to me, but apparently it was a, a test to him. And it was this experience he remembered. You know, I went back to him, we talked, and he became a huge account for us, like probably number one or two at that location. Wow. And uh, it just took diving into it and figuring it out. And, and since then, I've, uh, I'd say most of the, I mean, I've only managed three PCs, but each PC has always been like those moments where I'm like, no, we're just going to go ahead and write that credit or take care of that account because I learned this lesson, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's uh, 250 bucks in my example, a hundred bucks in your example. Sometimes it's five bucks yeah. or a screwdriver over the counter that somebody's not willing to warranty. And it's like, totally. dude, just give the guy the $6 cost screwdriver and let him leave happy because whether it's $100 or $250, you're not buying that order or that whatever. You're buying potential future business and you're also buying happiness, which I don't know about you, but 100 bucks for happiness is on both sides. of the, So everyone leaves feeling happy. That's that's a good bargain. I've spent a lot more trying to seek happiness than that. Worth it. And I mean, the blood, sweat, and tears I put in trying to figure that out, you know, through the, the channels was easily the $100 worth of happiness. I'll tell you. <laughs> and you'll never get that yeah, time it's, back. It's uh, <laughs> funny, the things you run into. Yeah, I'll never get it back. That's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that takes a while. And yeah, I even come from a restaurant service background where, you know, that is the, the metric there is like if the food's not good, you buy the meal or whatever, or the, the food doesn't come out on time mm-hmm. or whatever. But in this business, for some reason, people dig in so deeply. And uh, one of the other podcasts I listened to, Jocko Willink, uh, he's got a podcast, and uh, he's, he talks about how whenever you dig in on anything, whether you dig in on a position or a belief or whatever, like you can no longer look around and see what's going on. You can't maneuver. You can't pivot. You're stuck. Like you're literally stuck because you mm-hmm. dug in. So picture a guy in a foxhole digging in like he can't just maneuver anywhere else he's really stuck there facing one direction now and it it applies in everything in life and i think it's important that people kind of pull back and put that perspective and and check their ego a little bit and uh look at the bigger picture because 100 bucks is nothing for a customer that could be doing thousands of dollars a day with you absolutely absolutely yeah checking your ego is something i think and i know i struggle with it occasionally as well uh we all kind of have those challenges i mean you say occasionally regularly have to keep that in check you know, <laughs> make sure we're looking at it objectively it's uh it can be a challenge man i agree so how long have you been at this pc this new one uh, i have been in ventura now for about a year just over a year it was july 1 last year uh, that i got here and it's been a good time you know we're making some strides and generating some profit so i'm having a good time and, and southern california if, for those of you who haven't lived down here is amazing uh, they aren't just making it up it really is that nice down here it's like 70 degrees all the time it's just perfect uh, i've been norcal my whole life and the heat wave of the summer down here is like 80 degrees i can handle that outside of the triple digits i'm used to in sacramento and stuff wow yeah it's pretty hot over here these days and it's just gonna get hotter for sure <laughs> Um, yeah, it's literally looking at my my little Google Hub here. It's 70 degrees outside right now. Wow. I'm, sorry. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. <laughs> it's unbelievable, Mike. I'm not, it's unbelievable. 
It says 90 outside in, in Vero, plus like, I don't know, 53% humidity. That, that's fun. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to the East Coast for a long time, and what I do remember is the humidity, and I just not a fan. It's just not not my thing, that's for sure. I'll stay over here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you've been there about a but year. Yeah, I've been here about a year. It's, it's going well. We're having a lot of fun. You know, a little bit of change here and there, and so trying to grow the business. You're at that sweet spot of you've been there long enough to kind of identify some of the uh, the issues and the opportunities and and start to lay a plan out to get around them have you are you in like still in the operational side of things or are you starting to move more into outside sales ish or what were you i started kind of dabbling outside sales last month i really need to get back out there and do some more of it um, i'm doing that very minimally right now i'd say i've uh, joined my other outside guys a couple times on some stuff and i try to do some more of that um, i'm growing a sales trainee who hopefully we can turn into outside sales here real soon and, and help him grow that role um but it's about time I get out there. I've run into some bumps along the road real recently where I now I'm focused on hiring a, a body for the warehouse and, and helping out internally covering some vacations and stuff like that. Um, so not as much as I would like, but I'd say operationally we're fairly sound now. Uh, Unearthed some things last week that we're putting some plans in place on to fix from a uh, you know paperwork standpoint, but that should be solid. Got inventory done back in April. Uh, it was pretty clean, so happy with that. Nice. And then, of course, you know, we got forecasts coming up here in a couple of weeks. So whatever I can do yeah. in, the, uh, in between time to get out there and go see some folks. I've got some target accounts I'd like to grow with and see if we can go spend some time with those people. We just got our, uh, our you know, set this time aside for your pre-forecast meetings. And, oh, by the way, this should be yep. – you should be pretty much working on it. I'm like, oh, man, I just <laughs> – I guess I need to schedule some time to do that. <laughs> Um, you know, it's funny. I saw the, the note come out that still cash packages now available. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Now, and I, I'm realizing that I have to send out that email going over just exactly what you said. Here's when I want to see this and kind of start reviewing those forecast packages. And I, I don't generally dive into mine until that first week of September because I like the August reports to come out first. I feel like it gets a better, you know, summary of the year so far. That's a good point. I always feel like I end up redoing a lot of it because it, I guess depending on how August looks, really. <laughs> like if August is. <laughs> Whichever month looks better, right? That's yeah, whichever you, month looks better when you analyze it. Um, but uh, I, I definitely think it's worth waiting till closer to it so you can get more accurate information because, I mean, we are forecasting a whole yeah. year in advance, so the more information we have going into that, the yep. better we're going to be. Yeah, and you can fill out some of those sheets early on. You know, that stuff's straightforward and easy. But it's the meat and potatoes is the the territory analysis and your, you know, like you said, that year's forecast. Here's what I think we're going to do next year. and yeah. So what would you say? <laughs> it's a lot of work. It, it is a lot of work. And, you know, I have in my division, there are four, at least four, maybe five Chinese or new managers that have never done forecast. So let's take a second mm -hmm. and talk about the, the mindset of forecast and like, um, you know, what do you think makes a good forecast and what do you think people should focus on if it is their first one? Because they kind of get a hall pass, but they want to show up and do a good job too. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, it's a, you know, you get a hall pass. I've been there, you've been there. Um, but they want to make sure that you're at least getting your head wrapped around the business. That's kind of the, the whole point of forecast is it's for the PC manager. It's not so much for the division guy or the region guy. They're giving you kind of a business review annually. Uh, they want to make sure you know your business and what you're looking at and your people and where your growth opportunities are and you know where you stand in your market and where you think your competitors stand in your market. Because one of the things that we tend to do is underestimate our competition, right? Yeah. Um, and you see that uh, a lot in the forecast packages. I've had the opportunity last year to sit in on another division's forecast, uh, which was pretty neat 
because I've only ever had my own, right? And uh, when I sat in on with my PC manager uh, as a trainee, so it was really interesting to see the whole gambit from, you know, really little PC back to like my Grass Valley days to PCs way bigger than I've ever managed um, and how those forecasts go and what they look like. And I will tell you that every story I've ever heard, I witnessed, you know, uh, it was interesting. It was really, it was really cool. So it's like I said, it's, it's a matter of what, getting your head wrapped around the business and really making sure you're conscious of what's going on at that PC and, and who the players are in your market whether it be customers, vendors, uh, competitors, and even the people on your team. Yeah, I think you do yourself a real disservice if you go through the the, the homework aspect of the forecast package, put it all together, put a nice bow on it, re- do the reviews with your d- division manager, show up and give the presentation, and then just say, oh, man, thank God that's over, and you put it in a drawer and never yep. look at it again. And I think that happens. I've done it year, for years. and um, Oh, yeah. And I definitely do better throughout the year and keep my team on track if I'm pulling it out and looking at it and reviewing it with the team and sharing it, the expectations of the profit center with the the people that are actually going to make it happen for you. Um, (laughs) Well, at some point you realize too, you know, that uh, every year, at least I, this has been for me, um, it's typically the same. Your division guys have changed, your region guys have changed. So they start calling you. um, I wouldn't say calling you out, but they start asking about things that you talked about the year before. And oftentimes, you know, you put those goals down and then it's like, okay, so how'd that go? Well, after the second, third time that happened and you start really wanting to follow up on those mid-year, you know, so I've been doing the same thing the last number of years, pulling it out and saying, okay, what was it that I said I was going to do with who and what was I going to do with the PC and how are we looking comparatively? I think if you just do that, you know, at least once, probably better off three or four times, uh, you're going to be better prepared. And uh, do you do you share this with your team? Like, do you guys have meetings and and go over it, or as far as at the PC? Yeah, at the PC, or even within specific groups. At, at the, the PC, PC. I've always talked about you know the figures I'm sharing as far as a uh, sales dollar and maybe the account targets. Uh, that's pretty rarely shared information. Yeah, there's not a lot of other stuff in there that I think is super relevant. I mean, we talk about quite a bit of statistics. I'm very open at the PC. Um, it's not super often I take the P&L out and throw it over on the wall and talk about it, but I've done that at, I think, every PC I've managed thus far. So I do like to do that occasionally. Um, yeah. I, things I like vendors and competition, we talk about that stuff pretty regularly at the PC, at least in one-off meetings and, you know, a couple of people together. Yeah, we try to do quarterly. Sometimes I, I mess up on that and, and it ends up being, like, longer than that. But at least a couple times a year we'll get up. And I won't necessarily put up like actual numbers, but I'll give them relative percentages. So we're up 15%, we're down 4%, you know, in these categories. Here's something that I've noticed in a trend in the last couple of P&Ls. Because like the numbers aren't necessarily that important to them. They don't know what they mean anyways, but the the percentages are much easier to understand. Like, oh, last year we did this. So if we're up, that's good. Or if we're down, then that's not as good. (laughs) So I... I, Yeah, absolutely. And then that keeps it kind of protected at the same time too, because nobody... You know, it, the worst thing you could do is is set the wrong expectations for profit sharing and stuff like that. And in, in hundred percent, yeah. yeah. Um, I think one of the, the best things you can do though is uh, talking about not necessarily profit sharing, but what those numbers actually mean. Because I had to, uh, you know, I take it for granted. I look at this stuff all the time, right? Yeah, I live and breathe the numbers. Um, but some of the PCs I've been at, I've had to kind of explain to some uh, of the teammates how those numbers actually work out and that the gross profit we're doing every month, that isn't what profit sharing is derived from. It's net profit, right? Right. So it's uh, having to have those conversations uh, generally brings things more in line from reality for people because I've had to, 
you know, like I said, have those conversations of that we're doing X monthly. Oh my gosh, that means profit sharing is going to be insane this year. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa back up. This is net. We also pay the bills too. Right. You know, so. And, uh, but I think that if you're, you know, sorry, if you're in a PC where things are struggling, one of the best things you can do is talk about it and, and be open. And here's what we're spending. Here's what we're making. And here's how we get there. Here's the path I see. You know, you have to have a path and a plan and kind of some ideal numbers, but I think it's great. Yeah, it's really important. You get people to buy in on it and really understand that, that what they do every day actually does impact the bottom line and that they can they can dictate the way the business is going to go based on their interaction with customers and their Absolutely. you know, the things I that am. they spend money on and and the mistakes that are made that end up costing us money and and comes right out of gross profit, which but I I had a new employee sitting at one of the meetings and she was great. She literally like stopped me everything like, "Okay, what is that? What is that? What is that?" Not cuz like she's She's a very smart woman. It's just she wanted to know and, and make sure that everybody else understood as well. And there, we use all sorts mm-hmm. of jargon and abbreviations and things. And like you said, we definitely take them for granted. Um, I think one of the things about having a trainee that's so great is it makes you kind of like slow down and revisit these things and like like really think about why you believe they are the way they are or explain them in a way that makes sense to you know somebody. Oh, them. absolutely. One of the best things that happened to me was having a trainee and like you said, having someone go, well, why did you do that? I'm like, um, <laughs> well, I really got to think about it and put into words why I did that. Why you know? did I do that? It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the, uh, I don't know, back when my dad would tell me because I said so, and I'd say, well, that isn't good enough for me. Why don't you give me more detail, right? Right. Um, and that's kind of where it was, is having to explain your rationale. And it was pretty cool because uh, it made me have to put into words for the first time in some instances my mindset. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great having someone to teach and chat stuff with. Yeah, because teaching you, you actually, you know, internalize and, and codify why you do certain things, and and sometimes you're doing them automatically, and then when you teach it to somebody, you're like, you know what, that doesn't actually make a ton of sense to do it that way, or there's a more efficient way. And sometimes, totally. honestly, just having a new set of eyes and being like, hey, this, what is this box doing here that's been here forever? And you just walk by it every single day, and you're like, yeah, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> like, let's move that out of yep. the way. Um. Yep, I can't remember what uh, it was a book or a podcast I listened to. I do most of my books through Audible now, so I listen nice. to those as well. Yeah. So it's hard to say I've read them, but something I, I heard along the line was the, you know, you get blind to your immediate surroundings after so many days of walking by it. You just don't even notice anymore. That's true. If something's broken or you know a bulb's out or whatever it may be, you just forget and you're just ignorant to it. So yeah, absolutely. But having somebody else's set of eyes looking at it is great and new perspective, and hopefully a more efficient solution. Yeah, I um. I'm a big like quote guy if people don't know that about me yet. But so I used to like <laughs> print out all these quotes and like even back in high school I'd have like quotes on my wall. I didn't have posters. I'd like write out like Voltaire quotes and you know Tony Robbins quotes on my wall and stuff. And uh mm-hmm. and I had one. I still have it on my desk. Uh it's a Tony Robbins quote that says uh life is happening for you not to you. And I know what it says because mm-hmm. it's, it's a good line, but honestly it's right there on my keyboard and I probably haven't looked at it in three months or something like that. Like, because and, yeah, and absolutely. people walk in and be like, Oh, that's a cool quote. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that is written right there. And I look at it every single day. It's just, it just blends into the background. So having fresh people and perspectives and, and trainees are the, are the, probably the best resource for that, in my opinion. Um, yeah. That's another reason just as a complete tangent that it's good to shuffle your counter up a little bit every six months or three months or whatever. Absolutely. People come blind to it. You know, it's one thing I haven't done. I need to put on my list of things I got to go do. Yeah, uh, you know, I know you know Dan really well. He's he's oh, yeah. pretty good at the whole uh, counter optimization. Unreal. 
Yeah. <laughs> Unreal. Yep. Yeah. Um, he sent me a video of his parking lot one day. I don't know if he shared that with you. It's like a GoPro fast forward video, um, uh-huh. a time lapse video, and it was just insane the amount of cars coming in and out of his 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 driveway and his parking. And like he said, parking is his biggest obstacle and also his biggest opportunity if he were able to improve it. Absolutely. You know that that PC is I, I would say second to none. I've been all of them. I've been to a fair amount of them, and they're busy all the time. I mean, it doesn't matter what time you pull in there. There's you know ten, fourteen cars stacked up, and his counter's going nuts. It's a beautiful. It's just thing. crazy. It's he, a, he runs a great business. It's a beautiful thing. We're in a similar situation in Bureau, not on the same scale, but um, most of our business does walk right through the front door. And uh, you notice it on days like today where you're coming back from, I just got back from vacation and like you're trying to get things done, but you can't be mad at the people walking in the door trying to give you money. You know what I mean? Like, nope, they're, nope, they're, love it. They're pulling you away from stuff because, you know, we, we have a flex schedule where somebody works Saturday, so now he doesn't work on Mondays, this whole thing. So we're down a person every single Monday. And, um, yeah it just forces everyone to kind of step their game up and you realize just how busy and fortunate we are to be that busy. Um, and it, you know, oh, yeah. some people I like that. The people trying to give you money is that's the truth. Yeah. Anybody that <laughs> yeah, walks in the door, the door they're, they're trying to give you their money. That's it. And anybody calling is just trying to see if they can come give you your money, you know, and that's, and that's the emails yep. are the same way. And I, I really try to instill that in my guys. Like, I know it's it, you might just have sat down after being at the counter for 45 minutes, but the next guy that walks in, he's also trying to hand you money. So you got to get back up and go help him out because if you take I care like of that. him, I'm totally stealing that. He's going to come back and give you more money. I mean, that's, I yeah, I've been saying that for years. I, I really do believe that. It's like, just like when I was waiting tables in a restaurant, you can't be upset that you got more tables. Like these people are there to spend money and tip yep. you, you know, and it's, um, it's Absolutely. A- no, I love when the counters hop. That's one of my favorite things, you know, is you get out there and you've got all your counter guys and you're inside team and I'm out there and, you know, it's just nonstop. It's fun. It makes the day just rip by and you look down and, you know, you've got to get back and answer emails and we had one of those the other day. It was great. So speaking of that, when you are back at your desk and you're working on, on you know, kind of working on the business instead of being in the business, because that's something that I think PC managers get wrapped up in far too much. They focus way too much on the day-to-day and like the what what some people call the whirlwind of the day. Um, what are mm-hmm. some things that you do or how do you carve out time to make sure that you're focusing on the business as well as being available to work in the business? Boy, loaded, good question. Um, it's a long question. <laughs> it's, a, well, it's a good question. It's, uh, I don't know if I have a specific answer to it. I have fallen in the habit over the years of having a, uh, a to-do list and like I do it digitally so it's very easy to manipulate <laughs> uh, but I keep that populated all the time with my uh, overarching goals you know I kind of have some things I want to have on there whether it's increased marketing you know hire this person call on this account just so that I'm seeing it uh, day in and day out and I would say it's one of those things that I haven't become blind to because I have to reaffirm it every morning and update it and you know check off what I did or what I didn't do and that's really been helpful for me um, to kind of keep those overarching goals in mind day to day. But other than that, man, I, I just doing it. And that sounds silly, but it's the forcing it. If I have something specific I need to do, whether it's um, matrices or, you know, updating spas or processing spas or you know, looking at uh, whether or not we're paying competitively, which I try to do semi-regularly at least, uh, just knuckling down and knocking it out and trying not to let any of that, except the day-to-day distract me from, from doing that stuff. Um, what it would be, be a challenge. Do you use like an app or what are you using for the electronic goal setting thing? Is that 
something you um, just have on your phone? Right now, it's just a Microsoft to-do list. I think is what it's called, Microsoft to-do. Okay. And uh, I like it because you can set dates and you can have re- reoccurring uh, ones. So I have like, look at my velocity report, you know, every 90 days or whatever it is and try to get that thing moving in the right direction. Um, so, and I can carve it out with different lists, whether it's for the PC or for the district stuff and overall goals and that kind of stuff. So I dig it. Yeah, everyone's got their own system. I'm always curious if there's a better one than what I'm using. I, I do a lot of um, like calendar reminders, and then I have a daily mm-hmm. notebook that I created. I print out 10 pages every two weeks, and uh, it, it at the top it's got my goals. It's got things I'm grateful for, th- something that I learned yesterday. I have to put something there no matter what. And then I have a statement about who I want to be today or who I want to show up as today. Um, it's, just, nice. it's just an I'm the type of person that, and today it was – gets all caught up from being on vacation. And so when I leave at the end of today, I'll be 100% caught up. And and I think by declaring, yep. declaring that first thing in the morning, like you really kind of, you tell yourself like this is what's going to happen. Or sometimes it's like I'm the type of person that, uh, you know, gets it all done in a day or maintains calm, cool, and collected attitude around in a high-pressure environment, whatever it is, you know. And, um, I like it, yeah. It's just some statement I tell myself that kind of primes me. And the goals are always the same. They're not necessarily CED-related, but some of them are. Um, they're like, just keep me on track to make sure I'm hitting them. And then I think expressing gratitude in the morning is really important as well. Um, yeah. Sometimes no, I, I totally dig that. Something we've been doing with my kids lately is the gratitude stuff, and I love it. Yeah, it's it makes for them. It's good for us. It makes you reach. After you, you, know, you hit the, few, the first couple, no problem, maybe even the first hundred or family, friends that amazing dinner last night or that sunset I saw. But then after a while, you're like, man, I'm just grateful that all these people showed up today to work. And I'm grateful that the customers yep. keep walking in the door. And I'm grateful that I have this deep connection with this one customer that gives us all of his business. Or like you have to start reaching for things and it makes you realize like there is so much out there to be grateful for. And if you don't. Yeah, you're running out of surface level ones in a hurry. Yeah, and it's it's boring to repeat the same ones over again. Oh, my wife's so wonderful. You know? <laughs> it's like, yep. I mean, she is great. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it, it gets old just writing that over and over again. You start digging for deeper and deeper, and and eventually you realize like, we are in a really amazing situation to live in America, to be a human being, to to live in this century, to to work for this company. Like, you can go on and on and on about um, just. Oh yeah, I feel very fortunate. It's uh, love what I do. It's an amazing opportunity. Uh, I don't I don't know any other Absolutely. companies out there that are hiring kids out of college, training them for two and a half or three years, and then saying, here are the keys to a multi-million dollar business, and call us if you need to, but we're going to let you run with it for a while and make mistakes and yep. figure it out. And, um, yeah. Very little micro well, I, was, I was just telling a story, I don't know, last week, week before last, at one of the other PCs I was at, and uh, it's... It's true. I feel like I'm plugging the company over and over again, but I do love this company, so I will. Um, I've been working here almost 10 years, and I haven't had a day where I've woken up and been like, man, I just really don't want to go to work today. And I can't say that for the previous nine or 10 jobs, another decade before I worked at CED. Um, I had plenty of those days where I didn't want to get up and go to work. You know, it was uh, working in the wireless industry for anybody who was doing that or uh, thinking about it. It's terrible. Don't. What, <laughs> what, what industry was that? Sorry. Why? I worked for uh, I worked for one of the major wireless carriers fixing cell phones oh, for a number of years, and yeah. the company was fine. The people were a lot of fun, but man, it is thankless. Most people do not come in to get their phone fixed because they're in a good mood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. I think uh, the the number you know, one what would, uh, all perception. What would you say the number one thing about sorry. about being a manager is though that that it makes it so rewarding? Is like is there one word that comes to mind? 
say uh, for me, it's it's freedom. It's freedom. I like so that. Freedom. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm only uh, to kind of get you know whatever you need to get done. I'm tired to sit at my desk. I can get up and go work the counter, or you know, go see a customer, or sit with an employee, whatever seems like I need to get accomplished to help drive the business or my goals forward that day. And uh, I wouldn't say answer to nobody, but as long as you're doing things, you know, legally and ethically and, and making some money doing it, uh, it's on you as a PC manager. And I love that. That really, you know, fires me up. It works for me. That's funny you mentioned that because I always use that at, um, at when I'm recruiting, whether it's, you know, one-on-one interviews or I'm at a career fair or whatever, and people ask like, oh, why do you like what you do? I, I go through that, like, as long as it's legal, ethical, and profitable, and hopefully in that order, then you're pretty much good to go, yep. you know? Um, yep. You can, you can do whatever makes sense for your market in your market. There's not somebody leaning over your shoulder and be like, hey, make sure you stock extra QO120s because you got a big sale coming on of those. Yep. Like, no, that's on you. Like, there's, there's um, going back to Jocko, I don't know if you're familiar with Jocko Willink, but his whole thing is, like, extreme ownership. And, uh, mm-hmm. I just got my dad listening to it and he loves it too. And like, but it's, a, it's an amazing concept. It's an amazing book. It's really simple. You just take ownership of every single, every single thing in your life that you could possibly take ownership of. And CED is the perfect example of that because if you're not happy being a CED manager, you got to look in the mirror. There's only one person you can blame and it's, it's you for creating a really terrible system. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And the, I would say you've probably seen this as well, the successful PC managers embody that. They, they own it. It's, and I feel that way. You know, it feels like you're running your own business and you're not, but it's gotta be the closest thing without actually doing it. I agree. And you don't have to fork up any money to start it up and do all that stuff. Yeah. I don't have those kind of pockets. You know, it's, uh, it's incredible. It's definitely incredible. I like it. I like it. Um, so a couple of years ago, you and I were talking about uh, service level and, it's shifting gears a little bit here, getting more tactical and detail oriented here. Um, going mm-hmm. along with inventory best practices and managing the PNL, uh, service level, I think, is one of those things that is is kind of vague for some people. And we've had numerous meetings within our division where, you know, I personally have gotten up. I think I shared with you the uh, PowerPoint presentation. Was that a year ago? Year yep, which I've redistributed, by the way, a couple times. Oh, cool. Thank you. So. Um, yeah. I basically, You're welcome. Dig it. I basically cut and pasted from the CED one that just came out, which is a lot better than the old one. But could you describe it <laughs> in the way that you understand it so that people maybe hearing it in an audio format versus reading it online would get it? I'd probably have to pull up your presentation to give you the exact verbiage, but the gist of it is whether or not you can fill a given order, um, any of the past given orders you've had in the last 90 days with your current on-hand quantity, right? So if somebody ordered... 50 and you have, well, these better numbers. If somebody orders 100 and you have 90, you have a 90% service level for that item. And it's for every item uh, in your local product file, right? Every day. Um, and that's, that's it, every day. And it, it calculates at the end of every day when you post um, and keeps kind of relatively updated. And I, I think it's a good system. I've had a lot of conversations with people over the course of time about, you know, it's impossible to get up to X, Y, and Z. And um, I don't think it is. I think at any any inventory level and any PC size, you can have a good service level. And we all have different opinions on what good is. Um, but I think, you know, mid to high 90s is solid. And I think if you're in the high 80s, low 90s, you got room for improvement. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a spot on spot on representation of that. And I, it's never been easier 
than right now to fix this as a PC manager because of the new the new tools with the custom report writer and things like that. You can dial in. Oh and my see gosh! Yeah. Exactly which manufacturer? Like we looked at a couple manufacturers and it was like, really, this guy's a forty percent service level. We do like zero business with them. Just get rid of that manufacturer and. Our service levels yeah, went up. Yeah, like nothing on the shelf is just holding me down. Yeah, or you you realize it's one item that you keep failing it on because, you know, somebody bought twelve of or whatever, and you only stock two of. Like either just bring the inventory up to where mm-hmm. it should have been, or, you know, wait until that that spins out of the ninety day cycle, I guess. But, um, I think yep. before it was very vague. People were always like, I remember when I was a trainee, people were like, oh, make sure you don't do a back order on a stock item because that affects service level, and I was like. I don't know that but it that's, doesn't. I don't know yeah. that that's how it works. I remember that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it it's doesn't. A- uh, it's interesting too because I, I think that one of the things I've I've heard people gripe about with the service level is that well, how do you keep track of the order you didn't get because you didn't have it? I think this is as close as you can really have in a computerized system for telling you that you you're not getting it because you don't have enough product to service that order. Yeah, you know? there's a manager just north of me. Uh, well, now there's Palm Bay just north of me, so two stores north of me. Um, and he said that every once in a while he'll go through his write-down report mid-year, not just before inventory, and look at things that are mm-hmm. in write-down where he's, oh, got, he's got like one or two or three of, and and he'll realize like, hey, he realized a couple of years ago, like, hey, if I double this inventory, I might actually sell all of them versus not having enough to service one order and never selling any of them and being frustrated. So he actually doubled down, like doubled down on his write-down and started selling more of it. And I was like, wow, that's an very unique way to do it. I wouldn't do it with every single line, but if you if you ever get the call about like I don't yeah. know, like three inch Myers hubs or something like that, something that's not super common and, and you never have enough to fill an right. order, then put a box on the shelf, see what happens. But yep. it's one I mean it's one of those things too. Write down's gonna happen, you know, to go on a little tangent. Write down is a it's a necessity. You're always gonna have some write down items. There's always gonna be some item in your market in your PC that doesn't turn, but as an electrical distributor you need to have it. Right? Yeah. Um and for me, a lot of that stuff was like the the odd size schedule 80s, right? Don't sell a heck of a lot of it, yeah. but it'd be embarrassing not to have it. Right. And uh, it, you have to find yourself making sure that you aren't getting rid of that stuff come inventory time just to, to dodge right down because um, it'll be embarrassing the next time you need that. Like you said, three and a half inch LB or whatever it may be, three inch Myers hub. Um, I don't know if three and a half inch LB is something everybody should go out and buy, but you know, it's nice to have when you need it. I got a couple of PVC ones on the shelf if anybody needs some. Um, and write down, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. I mean, we're, we're notoriously low in write down numbers. Um, we we do a really good job. We start after, after Thanksgiving, and our inventory is also in April. So we spend a good five or six months of the year really focusing on inventory and making sure that you know we're trying yeah. to sell it through the proper channels. And then at the end of the day, we're we're gonna sell it as as much as we can, or or write it off, or junk it, or rotate it through another PC or something like that. Um, do you have any? Yeah, and if you're, uh, you know, if you're doing things right all year round, it's it's much less taxing of a problem if you're doing your vendor returns and that kind of stuff. Yeah, no vendors like to get hit up at the beginning of the year, and so if your inventory is right no. at the beginning of the year, um, they're not going to want to take that commission hit in January or February. They'd much rather take it in November or December, and um, they don't ever want. And your return allowance generally resets, right? So you want to max out your existing year before that new year hits. That's a very good point. Those returns in. Yeah, I try to make it a point of when somebody sends me their entire write-down file and says, hey, inventory's on Friday, what can you do to help me? And it's Monday or Tuesday even, I'm kind of like, well, I'm probably going to buy a lot of stuff that I sell all the time and still leave you with all the D-dog items. And and I'm sorry, but you yep. put me in that situation. Um, and, you know, I'll often tell people, like, 
I'll, I'll print it out and like and circle like the, especially for new new uh, managers to be like hey these are the things you need to get with your vendors on right away and, and get rid of these and then send mm-hmm. a new list out of things that you can't you know legitimately send back now, one of the uh, other pcs back it was somewhere across the country because it stuck out to me called me in san jose one day and they said hey uh, you sell this item and I've got it on write down. Can I sell it to you at a bargain? <laughs> you know, because they they looked it up and I tagged it. And I thought that was genius. Yeah. Uh, getting rid of dead stock. They re, they proactively reached out to me and said, you are already selling this. <laughs> it looks like you're turning it. Can you buy it from me? I'll smoke it out to you. It's like, great, man. Sure. Whatever I can do to help, you know. Yeah. And uh, we've had I think to, that's a great way to get proactive if you have time. We've had to do that a couple times. And uh it's it's pretty effective. I think you and I have even talked about like shipping pallets of miscellaneous stuff because our inventories are at one point they're on the same day. Um, yeah, that's true. Which yeah. is weird. So I mean, it comes down to like having those relationships before you need them, kind of thing. Like if you're trying to, yeah, you know, and every every time this one number comes up, it's in my division. I will I won't say his name. And I know it's around his inventory because I have the inventory schedule listed there. And he's kind of like, oh hey buddy, how's it going? Yeah, like how are things going yeah. over there? And I'm like, but I haven't talked to you in about eleven months. <laughs> you know. I wonder what this what is going to be about. Buy yeah, <laughs> exactly. Let me just write you a blank PO and you can fill it out. Um, yeah, just tell me what I'm taking and we'll call it done. You know, it's funny on um, the service level thing too. I want to get that in there before I forgot the spot was. It's not necessarily a matter of having more dollars and more stuff on the shelf. It's having the right stuff on the shelf, you know, and making sure that you're buying quite the way I want for it, but efficiently. If, you, if you're constantly, you know, running out of A items and just put more on the shelf. I mean, it's a simple solution that CDD allows us the power to do that uh, at the PC level. You know, you never want to be running so thin and trying to um, avoid holding dollars in inventory that you can't fill those orders. Yeah. You can't win doing that. I see it all the time, especially in smaller PCs, and I've been there myself, where people, once they get to freight allowed, they just like, okay, I'm done, and they send the order. Yep. And it's like... And then they'll do that every week or sometimes multiple times a week with the same vendor. And they don't realize, like, you're creating so many, so much more work for everybody. You've got one more invoice to pay, one more receiver to do, one more UPS box yep. to check in or pallet to check in, one more trip to that shelf to put the items up there. Like, it, it's better to just buy on a schedule and have it there and, and obviously make sure you're hitting freight. But but make sure you have the stock that your, your store needs because, yeah, I mean, that's kind of – my, my sales pitch is, hey – I'm here to stock things that people want to buy and, and have them on the shelf when people need yep. them. And if you can't do those two basic things, yep. then um, kind of what's the point? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, well, well you said a couple things that I'll kind of hone in on is the, and I think this is what you said, and I'll use my Leviton as an example because it's a big line for me, at least quantity of, of items-wise anyway. Um, if you're buying Leviton every other day and you're hitting prepaid, then you're probably buying a little wrong. Why do you need to buy it so often? Yeah. You know, and I'll see if I can put my words into intelligent thought here. But one of the reasons I think that happens is because you have, you know, different products on different inventory cycles within that one manufacturer. So you're running out of a group that you bought Monday, Tuesday at a different rate than you run out of the group you bought Wednesday through Friday. And that cycle just constantly uh, chases itself. So you need to buy all the time and you never have enough stuff and you're constantly chasing prepaid. Like you said, if you plan that schedule and you only buy Leviton on whatever, Fridays, for example, eventually, and it will hurt for a couple of weeks as your inventory corrects itself, you'll catch up and suddenly you have less invoicing, less, you know, times up and down those stairs and you have more stuff on the shelf. It's magic. It's huge. And I, and all that opportunity cost of that employee doing that, those activities, whether it's the person doing the receiving, the person 
you know, paying the invoicing, like you're going to see that it's going to allow them to be more productive in other aspects of their business. Absolutely. And having worn the accounts payable hat last week, paying invoices, I'll tell you, if I have one dot EPO instead of five, I will be happy. <laughs> oh, you had to do that last week? Yeah, my IP was out. So I you know, brushed off the dust and knocked it out for a little <laughs> while. So it wasn't so piled up on her. Yeah. I haven't done that in a long time. I'm kind of nervous about it. If I ever had to do it, because I think it's been so long that they've changed the system on me. But I'm sure I can figure it out. Yeah, so I relearned the system with one of my trainees uh, back in San Jose. My AP person left, and uh, it took us a little while to fill that gap with the right person. So he had just done the training, and he dove in, and I dove in, and we knocked out together for the course of, I don't know, a month and a half or two months. It was uh, it was a time, so thank you, Nick. It was a good, <laughs> good learning experience for both of us. And uh, I would say I got much better at AP after that, you know, trial by fire. But that's the name of the game, right? Yeah, I mean, we only learn through – experience and making mistakes and, and picking ourselves back up and getting back out there. It's, um, that's literally, you know, when people come to me and like, Hey, how do I do this? And I, I can tell that they mean like, Hey, can you just show me how to do this and kind of do it for me? I'll purposely mm-hmm. be like, like, no, I need you to go and figure this out. And, and maybe you're not great at it the first time. Maybe you're not great at the first 10 times, but the 11th time you actually are pretty good at it. Like you're going to understand it better than anybody just showing you how to do it or doing it for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any um any like training official training programs for any new people that come in or um how do you kind of manage that aspect of it? Um not not really. I, I would say I use the training tracks that we have internally now. Um before kind of I had the basic online universities and library to go through. Um but I would say with the you've seen the manager training checklist, right? Yeah that they do for each of the phases. I like that. I use it specifically for the sales trainees as well, but even for the other positions, it's a great kind of base mark that I like everybody to learn those responsibilities and how those roles operate, right? Yeah. I mean, I, we're, I talked about this with Dan recently on a podcast, but we're, I, I'm personally very guilty of like, oh, we're out of, we're missing somebody. We have a gap in our system. Let's hire somebody and put them in there. And then oftentimes I realize six months later, like, Man, we never really trained that guy properly. We need to now. We need to go back and like, you know, take away all their bad yep. habits and reteach them all these new habits. And, uh, and sometimes it's way more painful than just planning ahead or always having somebody on the bench. Kind of, even though that can be expensive in and of its own self. No, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm guilty of that as well. I think uh, that's definitely something I could work on. And I don't know if it's a uh, symptom of kind of how we do things, but tribal knowledge is rampant. You know, there's a lot of that that has to go on as, as the previous guy shows the next guy, right? Yeah, I like what Dan said. He said that you should always be in one of these phases. You're either learning something, doing something, or teaching something. And um, that's I think that's a really good way to put it is, like, which phase are you in right now? And and I find myself in the mm-hmm. in the doing phase a lot. And it's like, man, I really should probably be teaching this to somebody else so that I can become a yep. force multiplier and go on to other things. Um I'll tell you, that was the uh, the single biggest thing I had to learn going from a small PC um, to a medium, more medium PC. Uh, when I went over to San Jose, it was having to learn how to delegate stuff because your time gets dried up in a hurry uh, when you go from whatever we had, four or five people to 17 or something like that at the time. And uh, boy, you, you really have to figure out how to teach other people how to do those tasks that, you know, are taking up all those minutes in your day. Well, how do you how do you learn how to do that? How do you what's your method for for getting better at delegating? Because I know it, it can be a challenge for a lot of people. 
So for me, and I think a lot of the management trainees kind of share this particular trait, I believe, is that I like things to be done a certain way. I wouldn't quite say I'm a perfectionist, but I'm close. And part of that is a process. But if whatever it may be, the end result is, uh, you know, good, and I like the way the end result came out, then the process isn't as important to me, even if I may have done it a little bit differently. And trying to wrap my head around that and uh, be okay with it was probably the biggest thing I had to do before I could start delegating effectively. Yeah, the phrase I like to use is progress is greater than perfection. So as long mm-hmm. as long mm-hmm. as you're moving the ball forward, it, I, it can be a little sloppy. It can be, you know, not 100% done the way that I would yep. necessarily would have wanted to do, but the fact that somebody else is doing that and is taking ownership of it themselves and I'm able to focus on other things, like that's more important than it being done perfectly. So as long as it's done adequately, like I think adequate. Exactly, as long as it's yeah. done adequately and, uh, and not and efficiently for me, and that's where I may go in and give some pointers and, and spin things a certain way, but as long as it gets done and, like you said, adequately, all right, hallelujah, let's move on. Um, and that was really something I had to kind of wrap my head around was being okay with that. Well, do you have any um, any systems or processes in place for actually doing the delegation part of it? Um, as far as what, I guess I'm not quite picking up what you're asking. Do uh, I have a, a process and I want to delegate this task and this is how I go about doing it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, do you have like a checklist or, um, you know, a worksheet or anything like that? Like, cause like, you know, you give somebody not a task, specifically. you give somebody a task and you have to make sure it gets done. So like. A lot, I think the biggest mistake people do, especially new managers, you'll see they'll, they'll delegate to somebody and then they'll be like, okay, that's done. And then five days later, the customer calls them who they gave the order to or whatever the situation is. And they're like, hey, totally. how come this never got done? Now they're upset with the guy they delegated to when really it's their own fault for not following up on the delegation. And that's what it is, is follow up, follow up, follow up, right? And I guess the, the one piece I do there is I put little reminders in my to-do list to follow up <laughs> with whoever I may have delegated it to. It's true. Um, to make sure that that task got done adequately. And I've, fortunately, at this point in my life, I still have a pretty adequate memory, and I often remember before I have to look at it on a list to go check in on it. Um, but absolutely, you have to follow up. It's a matter of, you know, showing them how to do it, showing them how to do it, and showing them how to do it, and then letting them loose to do it themselves and following up and checking on it until it becomes a habit like you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's things like, you know, the stock transfer directs, uh, running spas, updating spas, all that kind of stuff. I try to get off my plate over the years and still be, you know, cognizant of it and looking at it, but having somebody else doing the actual lake work. I think the best thing I ever figured out in Microsoft Office was the ability to right-click on an email and do a follow-up for a specific date. Mm-hmm. I think between, totally. between that and being able to send emails in the future, like the delayed delivery feature is huge too. Because Yeah, you, I heard you talking about that on a previous uh, podcast. Well, I, I have it. It. I have it on my text messages because I'm, I'm an Android user and F- iPhone doesn't have uh-huh. that. But um, like Google, you can boomerang it in the future. Android, Android, love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, joy for life. But because uh, yep. then you can you can take a step of action while you're thinking about it instead of having to remember to do it at, at a more appropriate time. You you just do it and you send it in the future and it's done. Yep. Um, no, I like that, especially when you're not awkwardly text messaging somebody at 10:30 at night because you're thinking about it. That's brilliant. Yeah, hundred percent, especially in different time zones. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah, totally. You got to be wary of that. Um, all right, any any questions for me? Anything you want to ask? Anything you want to talk about? In particular? No, off the top of my head, no, I can't think of. Uh, I mean, it's just great to talk to you. After you said we've just been uh, in text format for the last, I don't know, seven eight years, so to actually talking the phone is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It is pretty cool, and we should do this more often. And that's another reason I really enjoy doing this is I get to connect with people. And and um, do you remember Tyler? 
from the training program, Tyler Candelaria. Yeah, I'm gonna get him on the show too because I think he would be he'd be great at it. At, Where's he at now? Uh, he's running a bigger location in Indiana somewhere. Um, cool. So he said he he got a call to go from a like like you said like a five person store to to a much larger location and uh, he was like yeah, yeah it's probably good for for like salary and stuff like that but uh, in terms of living you know <laughs> it's actually very different because he had to go move to, from a nice small town to a big city and mm-hmm. you, you know it's yep now he's commuting versus just like driving down the street and that that's kind of some of the bigger reasons why I've stayed kind of stuck in bureau is and I don't mean stuck in terms of like career development but. Like it's, I'm just really happy here, and I have a really good thing going. I live eight minutes away. There's no traffic. It's a beautiful town. It's growing. Um, but I, I don't know if you could if you could shed some light on like what it means to to be asked to move and then to take that opportunity and move and then develop a new whole new location and, and how that how you feel about that. Boy, it's uh again a bit of a question. I I dug it both times that I I moved. It's a lot of work personally to go through all that. Uh, you know, with that aside, the digging in and, and looking at a PC and kind of X-raying it is a lot of fun for me. Um, I totally love diving into the numbers and seeing where you can improve. And you know, if you're in, a, if you're moving to a PC that's already successful and great, good for you. You know, that gives you a lot of a uh, lot more to work with, I guess, as far as time. But if you're in a PC that's struggling, you got nowhere to go but up, and everything you do can have an impact. You know, and that's a uh, that's a lot of fun too. But it's a um, it's a, it's a mindset shift, especially when you change size of PC. Uh, and that was the biggest thing for me is trying to wrap my head around having that many report twos, you know, and I, when you're in a four person PC, it's really easy to talk to everybody a day because you can see them all at the same time. Right. You know, when you're sitting there in a PC, when you have 18 to 25, it's much, much harder and a lot more time can go by than you realize when you haven't seen people. Uh, so, you know, taking the time to make sure you do that is, is huge. But I don't know, for me, the looking at the opportunity and going, am I going to retire out of Grass Valley? And the answer was probably not. I could, you know, I could have spent there, but it wouldn't have satiated that thirst for, you know, growing and, and moving up and doing that kind of stuff for me. So the San Jose jump made sense. Um, and it was really hard. It was still one of the hardest things I do was leave that team because we were very tight, much more familial, you know, at that level. Uh, and then the move from San Jose to Ventura was a, a teaching and tutoring uh, kind of position. Although, to be frank, I have two managers that uh, Dan and Glenn are both veterans and very good, so there's not too much effort I have to put forth with those guys from a teaching standpoint, more of just soundboarding. Um, but that's a lot of fun. I learned as much from them, uh, if anything. Oh, I'm sure. But that was really what it was for me. And and, and also, it was to get a little bit out of the uh, Bay Area craziness, man. It's a rat's race up there, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I have family up there. It's It's just nuts. The, the reels they were But I did go from what uh, Tyler was talking about, a small town four-minute commute to a 45-minute minimum one way, you know, and then coming back down here, my commute isn't as bad to the office, but I would drive around a little more for the district stuff, going to see other PCs can be time-consuming, but I don't mind that. Lots of podcasts and audiobooks, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, knowledge is power. If you can get it when you're driving, that's, that's all the better. That's it. Um, so what, one of the things I was going to throw out there, too, that I think is super important to remember um, for PC managers or trainings or whoever is listening about the business too, is size does not dictate profitability in any way. And uh, a very good that goes point. back to sitting on some of those forecasts. And you've done a great job where you are too, Mike. I know we've talked some numbers in the past too that it doesn't matter what size, headcount, or you know, millions or not millions of dollars in sales you're at at a PC. I think any PC of any size can be profitable uh, and generate a good living for anybody. You know, it's just a matter of what you want to do. 
Yeah, I think it's important to to kind of know what you want to do and what's going to make you happy. And uh, I, I enjoy looking at one of the one of the greatest things that gives me a lot of joy right now is helping the trainees that are, you know, I mentioned there's four new managers in the division mm -hmm. and helping them kind of move along and, and seeing their business, whether it's a startup in Palm Bay or an existing store in Stewart or, you know, mm -hmm. a, a pretty well established or even further south of there. It's um, just the opportunity to look at their P&Ls and go and like we have these monthly talks and we go through it and just like yep. point different things out. And they're asking me what I'm looking at the P&L. I'm asking them what they're looking at. And, you know, those are all lag measures. Like you can't really do anything about a P&L once it comes out, but you can you can identify yep. and prioritize your lead measures, which is what everything that goes into it that makes that P&L what it is at the end of the month, whether it's sales calls or. 100 percent. Yeah. Inventory. I mean, it's it's a. Uh report card right you can look at it and say there's these certain things that should or shouldn't be this way based on your size and your market and everybody's market is different and we all know that i'm sure my rent that we see out here is vastly different from some of the rent we see across the rest of the country um, but some things hold true you know turns service level um payable days all that stuff head count yeah i can only imagine what your rent is i don't i don't even want to know don't tell me <laughs> <laughs> brutal yeah it's brutal there's parts of california that aren't as bad but the uh Bay Area, too. Was, that was just nuts. What people are paying for rent out there. I'm sure you can hear some stories. Yeah. Well, my brother lives in San Francisco, so uh, he tells me all about it. He's, he's been on rent control for, geez, 15 years now, so he's uh, he's not moving for <laughs> any time in the yeah, future. Yeah, I don't know what the CED and their contractors in San Francisco is paying for rent, but I can't imagine it's it's low. That's got to be one of the most expensive price per square foot in the country, I'd wager. I would hope they own that one. Because it's probably one of the originals. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I would hope, yeah. I think it is probably one of the original 13. They've probably moved since then, but yeah, interesting. It's a cool company. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's one of the other interesting things I got to go through. Uh, San Jose, too, is we wanted to buy in a building. But it's just amazing the things you see as PC manager, you know. Have you ever done any acquisitions? I have not uh, as far as a uh, big picture view. I got to participate in one back in Pennsylvania uh, when I was a trainee, and that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work but it was also uh, a lot of fun you know to see some other side of the business they were big hub and spoke and they were pure bin location uh, i can't call it a pc but location and it was interesting because their warehouse was so much bin location that there was no product segregation you'd have light fixtures next to pvc next to steel fittings and oh, it was weird that's terrible but everything at home and the computer told you where it was it made my mind spasm <laughs> uh, but they could find stuff so yeah, there's something to be said about any new employee being able to walk in and being able to just follow a system and, and pick out the exact bin. There's a lot of a lot of prep work, obviously, that goes into that. But, um, you know, I mentioned this on another on another episode, but I like the fact that my guys are have to be alert, aware human beings. Like, I don't want robots pulling mm -hmm. orders. I want people to be like, oh, this doesn't belong here, even though it is in the spot that it says it should be. Like, I want them to be paying attention and awake and focused and and take the initiative to move it or, you know, pull the rest of the order and then go back and, and fix the situation on the, on the shelf. And every location is going to be different, but, um, y y you know, there's something I can appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can appreciate that. Yeah. Something to be said about people that are aware and, and like alert and, and train well enough to be able to spot the difference between things. And I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, we fall short on a lot is, is, you know, we rely on people's intelligence more than their experience sometimes in this industry. And we find really smart people and put them in place and they have no idea what the material is that they're selling. And then you can have somebody that may not test as well, but has industry experience and knowledge about what actually mm -hmm. happens with the stuff once it walks out the door and onto the job site. Yeah. And that can take you 
miles in a new direction that, that somebody with a lot of intelligence. Well, experience is huge. Yeah. And the other part of this industry, too, that I'm sure you've experienced, and is it doesn't take months. It takes years and decades to pick all that stuff up. I run the stuff, I wouldn't say regularly, but uh, frequently that I haven't seen before and something else new to learn and how people are doing stuff. And, and then code changes and you got to reboot, you know, uh, whatever yeah. it may be. One of the nice things about having that little spot on my daily workbook is what did I learn yesterday is when somebody teaches me something, I'm like, hey, look at this. You're going to be in here tomorrow. And I, I literally show them, like, the spot, and they're like, oh, that's cool. I taught him something, you know. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and the next day, all right, oh, learn something about this from Steve, you know, or whatever the situation is. So yeah. Send him a picture of it, and I get a, I like a it. kick out of it. Well, Josh, you can add what have I taught somebody, right? Oh, I like that. That's going to be on the next one. What have I taught somebody? That's, that goes perfectly with this, that uh, learn, do, teach thing. That's, yeah. That actually might be better for me at this stage than what have I learned. Well, Josh, thanks for coming on the Good Wire podcast. I appreciate you jumping on, and um, I, I'm glad we were able to do this. And, uh, you know, let's not wait 10 more years to get on a call and, and do it again. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it, man. It was a lot of fun. It was great catching up with you and uh, sharing some thoughts on the business. I think you're winning in word we'll do it right again. now, so I have to – have to get you know get cracking on that and make sure I yes i think i am winning <laughs> in this one although i'd say to be fair it is about 50 50 i think we do pretty evenly lose and win these things yeah but it's you your move oh it is my <laughs> it is my move touche sir touche all right well thanks Josh. all right sir i appreciate it mike i'll let you get back to your day in california have a good one all right man take care talk to you, you too bye bye